0: Is the volume okay back there? Volume okay? Yeah, okay. Um, it's a little bit early for jokes, but well, before the jokes, do we have any accountants, any CPAs, anybody that just loves as of a hobby working for working the books? <laughs> no, got okay. Yeah, there's more. There's more than one here. Um, I, I've got a joke for about every occasion. I only have one accountant joke. I'm sure there's better ones. An accountant's having a hard time sleeping at night. He goes to his doc, much like I do, he goes to his doc and says, hey, I'm just not sleeping. I'm unable to stay asleep. It's driving me nuts. The doctor says, well, obvious solution, have you tried counting sheep? And the accountant says, that, there's the problem. I start counting, I make an error that takes three hours to fix it. Okay, that's too early for jokes, that's all I've got for you. Today we're going on a journey with Paul. We're going to go on a journey where we will consider how we ought to be taking account, taking stock of our own lives. It's a fascinating journey, and we'll talk about our assets, hence the accountant joke, assets, liabilities, and how we ought to be, or how Paul talks about some of these things that we cherish. Um, First, let's look at the context. Paul's writing to the saints in Philippi. We've been in this book for a little bit. Um, this is one of the prison epistles and was likely written while he was in prison in Rome, um, but we're not positive on that location. The church had sent a gift to Paul. It was delivered by Aphrodite's, and this was a chance for Paul to respond to the church. The letter emphasizes joy, and it emphasizes rejoicing, and we need to be reminded of this from time to time. Um, the key verse may be very well rejoice in the Lord, and we need to rejoice in the Lord always. Um, in chapter two, Paul set forth Timothy, Epaphroditus, who delivered the gift, and himself as examples of how we ought to be pleasing God. In um, chapter three, he's exhorting um, the his audience in what this should look like. And that's where we are in the letter. Paul is being very transparent, he's being very real about his own life and his own experiences with the saints um, and the changes that occurred in his life. Just as Joe, uh, where you are Joe, just as Joe extended the lesson last week to include verse seven, we need, we need to look back on verses one through six to understand exactly what Paul is talking about here. Um, Paul's resume Joe talked about last week his resume was quite impressive Um, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews in reference to the law a Pharisee in reference to zeal a persecutor of the church in reference to righteousness under law blameless I mean Paul he's the man and so that's where we are in the letter. He had just gone through this. Um, so let's pray and then look at uh, verses 7 through 11. or in chapter 3. Lord God, you are faithful and we desire to be faithful to you. We recognize all we have and all that we hold dear apart from you is not worthy to be put on the balance sheet except maybe as a liability apart from Christ. I ask you to move here this morning and illuminate your word to us. Bring us to a place where we not only to know you, but to make you known, and to move in a direction, in that direction, with a, with a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 3, if you're following along in your pew Bible. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain resurrection from the dead. Paul lists uh, seven advantages that he had in the flesh. First are those pertaining to his birth, those that were not his choice, those that were thrust upon him. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He's a pure blooded Jew. This was very important. He came from the house of Israel. He's of God's people, the tribe of Benjamin. Now the tribe of Benjamin, He's kind of a notch up there in the hierarchy. A Hebrew, he was born a Hebrew, the son of Hebrews, the son of Hebrew parents. Then he goes and lists those things that he actually had some kind of control over, his choosing. He was a Pharisee. You know, he was an elite, as for spiritually speaking. He was a persecutor of the church. He had, zeal, he had a flawless record of legal righteousness. From a human perspective, Paul had every reason for self-confidence, yet in verse 7, we read that he counted all of those things loss for the sake of Christ. Christ wasn't silent on this matter either. If we look back in Matthew 5.20, right after, right after he says he is not here to abolish the law, he goes on to say that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say unless you're as good as a Pharisee or uh, unless you can reach that level of legal righteousness. But unless your righteousness exceeds that high mark. Now, Paul is doing a lot of things right um, from a Jewish perspective. But what Paul is saying is that wasn't enough. He counted all things lost for the sake of Christ. The word count, counted, that has the sense, the word that's translated counted, It has a sense of consideration and in the tense it's used indicates that Paul thought through and reflected on this at one time and made a decision in the past, found those things of no value and he still today considers those worthless. I'm confident that it was during his life altering experience on the Damascus Road or maybe the time that he spent in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Um, that he reconsidered the balance sheet and those things that he had considered an asset to himself. This mind shift in the way he was keeping score, so to speak, was very dramatic. And Paul presents it here with some of the strongest terms. He didn't just consider those things previously on, the other, on one side of the ledger, but he considered everything as we get to verse 8, everything to have been moved to the lost side of the ledger. I, like, I kind of like that. Um, See, Paul exchanged those things he previously had confidence in with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus personally. He did not just know Christ, but now Christ is his Lord. So let's stop here just a second and think about this. No show of hands, but for thought, are you a Christian? What would you tell someone who asks you, How do I become a Christian? I like checklists. I know that God loves me unconditionally and desires a relationship with me, check. I know that I have a sin nature and that separates me from God, check. That's two if you're keeping count. I know that I can't reconcile myself to God on my own, check. And I know that God offers his son, Jesus Christ, as essentially a gift in order to reconcile me as a result, check. Now, we've talked about this before. Is that enough? I don't think so. In fact, I know it's not. Not only do I have to accept all that and have that knowledge, but I have to make Christ my Lord. And so the question really is not are you a Christian, but is Christ your Lord? He became Paul's Lord. And to Paul, that made all the difference. He considers everything as rubbish when compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as his Lord. The word, everything, the word translated rubbish, that word in Greek is very emphatic. It's probably more emphatic than the word rubbish that we tend to use. Uh, One translation note that I read in prepping was the word here translated dung, which was the word that was used in this particular translation was often used in Greek as a vulgar term for physical matter. As such, it would most likely have been a certain shock value to the readers. This may have well been Paul's meaning here, especially since the context is about what flesh produces. I'll just let you think about that one. It's on the liability side. So, So, why does Paul consider all things rubbish or dung, so that he might gain Christ. Nothing else matters any longer. Having Christ as Lord and Savior so far past everything else that he held, in verse 9, Paul states that those who gain Christ can be found in him. Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. Paul wanted his life to demonstrate that truth. Being in Christ, he was not holding on to any of those things that he counted as rubbish before. His assets, when viewed by God, are no assets at all, but rather filthy rags we get from Isaiah or dung or refuse. The assets that save, those that endure, those that have meaning, and in which, in which Paul rested are through faith in Christ. And this only comes from God and is by faith. The turn of phrase in verse 9 is somewhat difficult in English, at least for me. The ESV states, righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. But another way of rendering it is righteousness that comes by the way of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. When we respond... In faith to God's work in our lives, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We read that in Romans. In this way, we can stand complete in Christ. Finally, in verses 10 and 11, Paul is continuing to get very real with his audience. I'm going to suggest that we continue to try to get very real and transparent with each other in these discussions. He already knew Christ as Savior as Lord, and he wants to know Christ more intimately as Lord. To know doesn't mean to have a knowledge of, as we discussed the checklist for salvation. It's not a knowledge of, knowledge of, but rather a knowledge by experience. He wants to know Christ and also the power of Christ's resurrection. If Paul could have been said to have a life goal, I believe that that is it, to know Christ Christ as Lord and the power of his resurrection. The power which brought Christ forth from the dead now operates in our lives since we have been raised with Christ. The word translated power means that overcoming resistance or to overcome a resistance by sitting forth his by sitting aside his own goals and ambitions, and now setting forth his new goals and ambitions in terms of knowing more fully Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's power, Paul gave the Philippians an example for them to follow, and he gives us an example to follow. Paul also longed to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, and in doing so, become like him in his death. Paul's not suggesting that Christ's substitutionary sufferings on the cross can be replaced or repeated by anyone. But he desired to participate with Christ in suffering for the sake of righteousness. Now, in Acts, we see that Paul did indeed suffer for Christ, and we read this in his letters as well, because he was consistently a faithful witness, or I'm sorry, a faithful representative of Christ in an unbelieving world. And there's another question for us. Are we faithful representatives in an unbelieving world, in an unbelieving workplace, in an unbelieving family or neighborhood? Are we faithful representatives? The word translated becoming like him means uh, being conformed inwardly in one's own experience to something. In this case, it's to Christ's death. As Christ died for sin, we die to sin, we get from Romans and Colossians. Believers should exhibit that sense of cutting off from the former sinful ways on a daily basis and being set apart from sin, that's what we've been given. We have a new life by means of Christ's resurrection power to be pulled out and set aside. Resurrection is, in this case, a a Greek word that's translated and is not found that I could find anywhere else in the New Testament. Why is that important? it really means a partial resurrection um, out from other corpses. Now, why did Paul say that he wanted to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead? Did he not believe um, that he would be raised from the dead? Well, he certainly did, and he knew that. Um, this was kind of a difficult portion to in my research, and there were some com- conflicting opinions. And what I really came down to is it appears that Christ was very hopeful that he would see the rapture, that Christ would return while he was alive. And I believe we all maintain that hope. So where does this leave us? This leaves us with some questions. Does your system of accounting, does it look like Paul's when he's writing this letter? And how is that system of accounting, the assets and liabilities reflected in your life Which one of those things that should be moved from the assets to the liability category do you still hold dear to? How can we as men encourage each other to have a right view of our account with God and live as if that is true? And third, and these are kind of in order by things I touched on already, but this maybe should be the first question. Is Christ Lord? If so, what does that mean to you? And if not, ask what that means to the person next to you. And how can we help each other know Christ as Paul desired and make him known? Go talk.